0: Welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews. You can read there anytime. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. While you're there, I do encourage you to check out my other podcast called the Quipster Film Review Podcast. You can search for the link on that website, Quipster.net. Today we're going to be rounding out the trilogy of films looking at alien killing machines in films of the 1980s, although the previous film actually was a 1970s film. But since the previous film was Alien from 1979, it is more than fitting to conclude this with one of the best action films of the 1980s, perhaps of really any decade, Aliens, the follow-up to Alien by James Cameron. It's a 1986 film. It's rated R, just like the first one. It does have violence, sexual references, gore, scary images, and language. The runtime, well, it depends on which cut you watch. The theatrical cut runs 2 hours and 17 minutes. The director's cut runs 2 hours and 34 minutes. Sigourney Weaver is brought back for this film. She's really the only one brought back for reasons that... I guess would be obvious from the first film. Carrie Henn, Paul Reiser, Michael Bean, Bill Paxton, Lance Henriksen, William Hope, Jeanette Goldstein, Al Matthews, and Mark Rolston are in the film. The director and the screenwriter is James Cameron. Now, as far as Alien and Aliens, I mean, we talk about these films together all of the time in film forums and whatnot. If you're just a fan of films in general, and you've seen both films, you tend to lump them together and many debates have raged on over decades as to whether Aliens is actually a better film than Alien, and I'm of two minds of it myself. If you ask me today, I would say what I typically say when it comes to the Alien films, that Aliens is a fantastic 80s movie, and Alien is a fantastic movie of any era. I do consider Alien to be, quote-unquote, a better film. I do consider Aliens, quote-unquote, to be a More entertaining movie. Make of that whatever you will. Regardless of the conclusion for yourself, one thing is clear they are both exemplary works of science fiction cinema. Ultimately, wherever you stand is probably going to have more to do with what kinds of movies that you personally have a preference for. If you like intelligent, absorbing science fiction and atmospheric horror, Alien is probably your choice. If you like adrenaline charged action and mind blowing special effects, You'll probably give Aliens the nod. Or if you're anything like me, and I think a lot of people are who listen to this, you love both styles of movies. And if that's the case, you're in for a treat. Both films are near the top of the list, no matter which way you try to slice it. Now, Aliens is one of the greatest sequels ever made. It's the right way to do a sequel, it carries the storyline where the first film leaves off. And instead of regurgitating the formula, it ends up taking the story into an entirely new direction. And it does so without ever losing the momentum of the first film in the process. And there's also a maturation within the characters, all of whom change as the film drives forward instead of staying stuck in very shallow stereotypes. Ripley here, played again by Sigourney Weaver... She started off in Alien as your average woman who's thrust into bravery out of necessity. And this trend continues, we see her go the distance and becoming a full-fledged soldier in doing what's right, at least from a humanistic point of view. Even the supporting characters in this film change on a smaller scale. The diminutive Newt learns that she can trust someone again, while the big talk in Hudson, played by Bill Paxton, eats a bit of humble pie once he gets a taste of how dominating the menace truly is. This isn't just great action. It's also very terrific and groundbreaking character development. And while the technical aspects end up leaving a lasting impression, it's really the quality buildup by James Cameron that allows the film to pay off in a very large way as it heads toward its explosive conclusion. Now, although the film starts where the first one leaves off, with Ripley in a cryogenic sleep drifting in an escape shuttle... What Ripley doesn't know until after she's rescued is that she's been that way for 57 years. When she gets back to Earth, the company that owned her ship is very interested in why she decided to blow it to smithereens. They're not too impressed with her implausible alien on board story, since they've recently inhabited the newly terraformed world that Ripley claims that they first encountered the alien on. And thus far, they found nothing to indicate whatsoever that there's any danger there For the settlement. That is, until the company loses all signal from that far off settlement and offers Ripley full reinstatement of her job if she can act as an advisor to this squad of Marines that they've hired to send to investigate the affair. So much more to the story than that. I'm just giving you the very basic premise. The rest of the film, which dominates probably the rest of the two hours, is really where I don't want to spoil a lot because this film has a lot of twists and turns and. Really cool surprises that have been ripped off so much over the years, maybe they'll seem somewhat familiar, I think. Now, despite its success at the box office, it took seven years to produce a sequel to the 1979 hit, Alien. It not only performed well in theaters, it did garner an even bigger following when it went into repeat video rentals and cable showings over the subsequent years. It really was something that was very keen in the mind of many audiences out there who love science fiction and horror In essence, you could say that the Alien franchise, at least before it existed, was adrift in space in its own form of hypersleep, waiting for someone to stumble upon it. As much as it would seem a natural choice to follow up, there was a legal dispute that occurred between Brandywine Studios and 20th Century Fox over the profits that made a major entanglement, so they really couldn't go forward, at least until after that, and Fox ended up settling that case by proposing to put that sequel in development that could generate more money for both sides if they did it right. Even though they didn't have to actually fully make or even release the film, this was a risk that Brandywine was willing to take. They believed in the viability of the Alien sequel project. Now, although it made the proposal, 20th Century Fox was worried about the second film. They feared that its cost would probably negate the chance for much in returns, and they might even take a disastrous loss if the film ultimately met with disinterest from a public who thought maybe it was too late to come out with a follow-up. They ended up, in the end, putting up about $18.5 million to make Aliens, which was more than the first film, but not by a lot if you factor in inflation. It really did feel like a film with twice that budget when you watch it, because James Cameron and company, they really got away with so much in terms of production value through a lot of ingenious use of miniatures, some very clever editing, and very creative optical effects that make the sets seem a lot larger on the screen than they appeared in real life or fill the screen in a much bigger way. It feels very epic. Ultimately, the returns on Alien were huge. It took an overall haul of over $80 million in the United States, and over $130 million if you factor in the worldwide returns, and that placed it firmly as one of the top 10 biggest money earners of 1986. Only Platoon earned more at the box office among R-rated releases in 1986. Vietnam-era films were particularly hot in the mid-1980s, but few audiences probably know that Cameron was using the harrowing Vietnam experience that he had heavily researched while he was writing a script for Rambo First Blood Part II as an inspirational allegory for his cocky and well-equipped Marines going into this enemy territory fighting an enemy that used its environment to their every advantage. It also colors Ripley's motivation to go back and confront those nightmares that continue to haunt her, much like many Vietnam soldiers ended up re-upping to confront their own demons. Now, now talking about its success, that was far from certain as they were developing the film. Ridley Scott was not secured to return as the director, They needed a screenplay before they even were going to approach Ridley Scott to return. And given that Brandywine had personal issues with Aliens screenwriter Dan O'Bannon over authorship, they wanted someone else that they were going to work with. At that time, in the summer of 1983, when they started looking for a screenwriter, when the development of the project began, James Cameron was not even a successful director. He had done some work for Roger Corman on visual effects, some art design, And uh, for a little while, as a director on this low-budget schlock and shock horror flick called Piranha 2 The Spawning, one which he pretty much disowns today, Cameron was waiting for Arnold Schwarzenegger to complete his work on Conan the Destroyer to begin production on The Terminator. Brandywine brought the inexperienced filmmaker in to develop a script treatment based on Producer David Geiler's impression of his Terminator screenplay with the condition that he would be allowed to also direct if they decided to proceed forward with the screenplay. Their initial pitch was for Cameron to do a film that somewhat resembled a Spartacus, but it was set in space in the future. But James Cameron seemed uninterested in pursuing this. But he did seem very interested when one of the options that were thrown out there would be a follow-up to the original 1979's Alien. It was then called Alien 2, but that was just a notion. It was so early in the conceptual phase that the only story element that they had included Ripley fighting alongside a group of futuristic soldiers and combating another alien at some point. Cameron was definitely interested in that. He ended up going to work. He completed a 42-page treatment in only three days. He considered the 1979 film to be perfect. It was unable to be replicated in his mind. The only way that he was going to make a follow-up would be to take the ideas of the first film and then filter those into another genre, one that would bridge the gap between Alien and his own action-oriented sci-fi horror ideas that he developed for The Terminator, which at that time he didn't even know that people would be interested in seeing. Even with the success, ultimately, of the Terminator, Cameron, who had sold off the rights to the Terminator franchise for pretty much next to nothing for the right to actually be the director there, he did not have a great deal of financial leverage within the industry. But that would all change when the Terminator was released, and it proved to be a big hit. Brandywine eagerly accepted his treatment, and they pushed forward for him to take the helm of the project. They were so high on James Cameron's potential to make Alien 2 that they didn't even bother to ask Ridley Scott at all if he were interested in returning, something he subsequently has said hurt his feelings at the time, given that he thought that he had done a pretty fine job with the first film. The crew at Pinewood Studios, where they made Aliens, also felt that Ridley Scott should be the one to have directed its follow-up as well, not only because he's British and Cameron a Canadian, although many at Pinewood still viewed him as an American director nonetheless, They also thought that Ridley Scott did a much better job in listening to them on the technical side. They had worked with him on several films up to that date. Cameron was a complete nobody at that point in their eyes. They never heard of him. And despite his disappointment, Ridley Scott did end up commending James Cameron for what he produced with the initial premise, and he calls aliens a very good picture. Scott would eventually get to return to tell more stories in the Alien universe anyway through the prequel series that he did to Alien much later in Prometheus and Alien Covenant. Despite the green light that was given to the film, 20th Century Fox was not as eager as Brandywine to push forward with it in the early phases in 1983 they felt that there were too many horror elements within the script There was not enough emphasis on building up the characters, even though the original film had even more horror and less character development than what was being proposed by the treatment. They were beginning to grow disinterested in this concept and even mold over a deal to sell off the rights to the sequel altogether to the Rambo series production team, who Cameron was working with by providing the script for Rambo First Blood Part 2 during the same period in which he wrote The Alien's Treatment and he was also polishing up his Terminator script. So a deal on selling off those rights could not be reached though and any sell-off plans would end up falling through anyway when Fox would get a new head in 1984 in independent producer Lawrence Gordon. He was a collaborating partner with Brandywine's Walter Hill on the 1982 hit 48 Hours. And eventually, Gordon would greenlight the project going forward. But still, 20th Century Fox, some of the other brass, balked at the proposal from Aliens producer and collaborating partner and soon-to-be-wife, they got married during the production of Aliens, James Cameron's partner, Gail Ann Hurd. Professional budget crunchers at Fox estimated the cost to put all of the script ideas to film would easily cost about $35 million. They put a hard limit on the production, of only twelve million dollars if they were going to proceed for it. And that caused Heard and Cameron to end up walking away, but you know, only temporarily. Gordon vouched for Hurd's initial $15.5 million request in the end. He thought that making the sequel was a no-brainer. And despite the budget crunching here with Fox's estimates, the film would end up getting made at about half of what they surmised it might cost. And it was completed on time. It was a win for all sides all around. The return of Herd and Cameron, though, was a bit short-lived during the production. They threatened to leave again due to Fox's refusal to publicly announce that Sigourney Weaver, who had been uninterested in a sequel until she ended up reading Cameron's script and loved the mother-daughter aspects of the Newt Ripley story, she should publicly be announced as the only actor that they were seeking to reprise the role of Ellen Ripley. They felt that if they publicly announced it, that she and her agent would end up asking for a lot more money And they knew that the picture was not going to be made with her signing on, but they didn't want her to actually know it and have a big bargaining chip to negotiate with. To make the relationship even worse at the time, 20th Century Fox wanted Cameron to write an alternate script without Ripley in case negotiations with Sigourney Weaver fell through. He refused. He stated that no one would be interested in the sequel to Alien if Ripley is left out altogether. Cameron ultimately prevailed on that. Weaver would sign on for nearly $1 million and a percentage of the box office returns for the role. She only received $30,000 for her prior part in Alien, so this was a big raise for her for the franchise. She ended up getting a lot more money with each subsequent film that she did in this franchise, $5.5 million for Alien 3 and about $11 million for Alien Resurrection. For her part, she also negotiated with Cameron that she should have a good deal of say into how her character, Ellen Ripley, would act or react in any given scene. Something that James Cameron would come to appreciate and incorporate into his storyline for the motivation of the character, including her post-traumatic stress nightmares and her maternal regrets and guilt that she felt when she unintentionally abandoned her only daughter, as well as her protective nature and her overwhelming sense of duty. And for her impressive acting effort, Sigourney Weaver would end up scoring her first Academy Award nomination for Best Actress, as well as a Golden Globe nomination. The Oscar nomination was the first ever for a woman in any action movie, so that was very notable. It was also one of seven Oscar nominations altogether for the film Aliens. It took two Oscars home for its visual effects as well as its sound editing. Even James Horner received a nomination for his score, deservedly so by all measures, which is even more amazing when you learn that he actually had to complete it in about three weeks, maybe even two weeks, depending on what you read. James Horner said he had to cannibalize elements from prior scores in order to make the deadline in the end, so he was not happy with what he put forward, but a lot of other people were, even though it wasn't complete until mere days before the film's release date. In fact, the tensions grew so high between the director and the composer that Horner vowed that he would never work with James Cameron again. But obviously, if you know your movie history, they would eventually patch things up. Cameron secured the composer for his biggest films in his filmography, Titanic and Avatar. Now, as far as the other casting went, James Remar had been slotted to play Corporal Hicks, but he had some drug issues, some legal troubles shortly after the shooting began. And so Cameron ended up calling his... Terminator co star Michael Bean at a moment's notice to fill in, which he did and did so very admirably and memorably. Many actors here are playing against hype, many characters play against stereotype. Cameron really fully enjoys subverting expectations based on who's playing the roles and how they may be initially perceived through Ripley's eyes and our eyes as well, given the events of the first film. In terms of casting Newt, this would be the first and only film role for the then nine year old Carrie Hen. Ten was an American military brat. She had no prior acting experience. She was attending school In England at the time of her discovery. And that's one of the reasons that she speaks some words with a slight English accent. She has a very different kind of pitch than the rest of them. Which ends up working for the film given her isolation for so long. Hen would end up growing up to become a school teacher. She stopped acting after this. This was her first and only performance. But she would end up remaining in contact with Sigourney Weaver over the years. She regards Sigourney Weaver as a great mentor and friend. Now once the film was completed... Fox was not happy with the overall length of the movie. It clocked in at about two and a half hours. Cameron, with the help of Heard, ended up cutting out a little bit over 12 minutes, and that resulted in the 137-minute cut that was eventually released theatrically. Fox wanted to get the film's runtime down below the two-hour and five-minute mark. That cutoff was in order to increase the number of average daily showings per screen by one. Cameron and Hurd took another look at what they could cut out, but they felt that the film would not make sense or would not pace well if another 12 minutes were excised from the film. They decided to stick to their guns. They refused to cut any more than they already had. Fox ultimately consented to go with it as it was. Despite losing money on a per-screen average, one could argue that 20th Century Fox actually came out ahead in the end because their backing down with Cameron on this made him consider... Actually, signing on for a deal before Aliens was released, and they knew it was a hit for two additional films with the studio. If they had cut the runtime down and tried to negotiate after that, it would probably have been in vain with this disgruntled Cameron, especially when he had a big bargaining chip with the success of not only The Terminator, but also a big hit in Aliens to negotiate with. Fox was also lucky to get that deal made for another reason. They ended up in a couple of lawsuits, one from a company doing effects work, and another by Brandywine and Cameron and Weaver and Heard for not receiving payment for the percentage of box office take that they were entitled to in their contract. So they did it all over again with a whole new cast of people going to court. But Cameron was still under contract with them to produce the two films, which would be extended even more than that because he did work with them with The Abyss and True Lies and Titanic and Avatar. So quite a lucrative relationship for Fox in the end. As far as my thoughts on Aliens as a film, this really has an intensity. It builds to a fever pitch. It's a true roller coaster ride that only accelerates even more to white knuckle proportions right up until this cataclysmic ending. This is action filmmaking, I believe, at its finest. It has complex plot developments, an absorbing science fiction backdrop. Really heinous villains that make you squirm in your seat, both alien and human. And the funny thing about it is, I'm only describing the second half of this film. The first hour is almost nothing but the plot and character development, and only the merest hints of an alien monster to be found, but you'll never notice. The drama is every bit as interesting as the further action scenes, and it works perfectly in concert to make each half all the more satisfying as a whole audiences ended up loving the film. In an interview with Los Angeles Times shortly after its release, James Cameron was ecstatic when he went to go witness a crowd in a theater who reacted with strong emotions at the film that he had made. It is a great action film. It's a great science fiction film. It's a great horror film, a drama, a thriller, an adventure, and a war film all rolled into one. It works so wonderfully on all levels that you almost forget the underlying social commentary on the evil motivations of corporate greed, and the continuation of the female as an action hero that James Cameron would perfect in the Terminator films. It's a dark and sticky descent, but it is effectively so. The grotesque imagery only makes the situation all the more horrific, and the danger to the one precious little girl that Ripley all but adopts all the more immediate. As for James Cameron, after this success, he was offered the chance to do the next film in the franchise as part of his deal with Fox, but he was not interested in doing another. He thought he had done everything he could think of with this franchise with Aliens. He chose instead to do a more personal passion project called The Abyss for his next feature. Nevertheless, the studio and Brandywine would greenlight the next film in the series anyway. They went with another unproven but promising director named David Fincher, eventually in the early 90s for Alien 3, this time with the studio meddling that would nearly derail the project altogether. Fincher was not as successful at keeping the studio meddlers at bay. But as far as Aliens go, it stands up very well today. It's absolutely must-see for anyone who's seen Alien. Both films, I think, are essential viewing to anyone who enjoys the genres of science fiction and or horror. Sadly, this is also the final film in the entire Alien series that I personally accept to be part of the story. Subsequent entries... Alien 3, Alien Resurrection, Alien vs. Predator, and AVP2, or whatever you want to call it, and Prometheus to a large extent, as well as Alien Covenant. I just watch them, and I hope that they're good, but I don't consider them to be part of the overall story, because I think subsequent entries do little more than to destroy the almost perfect facets that made the first two films so wonderful to behold. I think that Alien and Aliens is just a perfect one-two punch, back-to-back. Everything else that they try to do with this series is something that I reject. I don't care about all of those other ones. So Cameron's mastery of action here is prodigious. Sigourney Weaver's Ripley is fantastic. Special effects wed the story to perfection. This is a pure adrenaline ride for all action junkies. It's one of the best thrill rides ever made, as far as I'm concerned. Aliens really set the mold for action cinema, for movies that even continue to this day, even bad ones. I know a lot of people deride James Cameron for seeming cliché and whatnot. No, he invented a lot of the clichés that bad action movies have made over the years. A lot of younger people look at James Cameron's films and think, oh, yeah, it's predictable, and oh, I've seen that before. No, you've actually seen films that have completely ripped this off. When you look back at this movie, you're seeing it through the filter of seeing 100 other movies that have ripped this film off before you see it. So I reject a lot of people that deride James Cameron as a filmmaker without recognizing him for the visionary work that he did. So Aliens, what a great movie. Of course, I'm going to give it four stars. I gave the first one four stars, this one four stars. I do consider Alien to be the technically better movie, but if I'm going to watch a film in this franchise, it's probably going to be Aliens. It's just an exhilarating ride all the way. Now, The Director's Cut, which came out on video in Laserdisc form primarily, and then it came out on DVD and Blu-ray, and it's pretty much the one that you get most often nowadays, and it's pretty much the only one that they show on TV showings. It's 17 minutes longer. It fills in some action sequences, especially regarding the use of sentry guns. It's Shows the discovery of the alien ship by Newt's family. It introduces us to a substory revealing that Ellen Ripley had a daughter named Amanda who would grow up and grow old and eventually die while she was in hypersleep. In fact, the picture of the elderly daughter is actually a shot of Sigourney Weaver's real-life mother... Reportedly, the impetus for the special edition—now, special editions were not common when this was released. It actually was kind of one of the first ones to be released in a special edition. It was done primarily to bring Sigourney Weaver back to the franchise. It was released on home video platforms because of Weaver's dissatisfaction that the daughter backstory had gotten cut from the theatrical release, which is especially important to Weaver because what she does for the rest of the film was propelled— In her performance, by her reaction, by what goes on during the scene in which he learns that her daughter passes away. That prompted her to say that she would never do another Alien film. This was a compromise to get her to come back and do Alien 3, in addition to a lot of money. The director's cut is really the only one I kind of watched today, although I would encourage you, if you haven't seen this film at all, start with the theatrical cut. You're probably going to love the film enough to rewatch it again with the special edition and see it in a whole new light. It's really a fantastic viewing experience either way, but I do recommend ultimately the special edition over the theatrical cut. But I don't think the theatrical cut is nearly as interesting if you go at it the other way around. So four stars out of four for Aliens. As far as what I'm going to be getting into in the next trilogy of films, well, I'm not going to tell you what the trilogy is comprised of, but I will tell you that the next film is kind of tied to the Alien franchise in many respects. I did kind of allude to it earlier when I talked about Alien versus Predator. So I'm going to go one year forward, another 20th century Fox film, which technically does not have anything to do with the Alien franchise until you factor in those crossovers. It is 1987's Predator. And that will be the next film that I cover here on Around the World in 80s Movies. So I invite everybody to check out that film before you get to the review. If you have your own thoughts on alien or aliens or decide one is definitely better than the other, I do encourage you to write to me as to the reasons why. I'll probably read it out if I have time on the next episode. So you can find my contact information on my website. That's at quipster.net. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R dot net. Until next time, thanks everyone for joining me on this trip around the world and around Acheron and around LV426 in 80s movies.